The reading today is from Acts 16, starting partway through verse 19. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At the hour of the ni- that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jess. Uh, if you've got a Bible, please do keep it open. Why don't we pray and then we'll uh, dive into the passage. Let's pray. Our dear God, thank you that we can know, uh, know you and we can know what you're like through the Bible. Uh, help us to see that more clearly this morning. Amen. Imagine you're on a flight after a, a ser- uh, you're on a flight and after a series of dreadful events, the, the pilots are no longer able to fly the plane and there's no one to land it. And a voice comes over the PA system. We need someone to land the plane or we're, we're all toast. And so you, you throw off your seatbelt, you march to the cockpit and you're ready to do what needs to be done. Uh, this hypothetical situation was the basis of a survey where around 20,000 people were asked whether they thought they could land a passenger airplane in an emergency despite having no flying experience. And one in three people believed they could by simply relying on air traffic controllers. Now, interestingly, out of, uh, out of all the males who responded, almost 50% thought they could do it. I'm surprised it's only 50%. How hard could it be, right? Patrick Smith is a commercial pilot, and he says there is zero chance of someone being able to do that. Uh, he says it's as likely as someone with no training trying to, uh, trying to perform a, a transplant surgery. Now, the clinical name for this kind of baseless bravado is known as the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is basically where people of low ability or expertise or experience uh, regarding a particular type of task tend to overestimate their ability. It's amazing how we overestimate our abilities at times. 
now there was a, ra- a question in the reading this morning which the jailer asked these two prisoners, Paul and Silas. What must I do to be saved? Or, or to put it another way, what do I need to do to be right with God? What do I need to do to get to heaven? What must I do to be saved? It's one of the most important questions that anyone could ever ask. But it's also a question that, that many people in this world never get to asking. Because the majority of people in this world don't see themselves as, as needing saving. They don't think there's anything after this life. Or if they do, uh, a lot of us assume that, that we'll be able to save ourselves. Or we'll say, or we say we'll cross that bridge when we get there. We heard in the reading of a man who comes to realise that, that when it comes to eternity, he's actually in a lot of trouble. He's not heading in the right direction. And one day, uh, like this man, we'll all have to stand before God and give an account for our lives. But it's as if this, this man, this jailer to this point, has been suffering from the Dunning-Kruger effect, overestimating his ability to stand before a just God. Now the way we're going to look at the passage this morning, we'll we'll work our way through it briefly and I'll point out some key things and then uh, after that we'll think about that most important question and what it means for you and I. Before we do that, just a a quick background to this this letter. Uh, It's it's the book of Acts. It's it's written by a guy named Luke around 50 AD. Uh, So halfway through the, the first century and he was actually an eyewitness of Jesus. And as we heard, he, he's writing about a couple of Jesus' followers named Paul and Silas. They'd been travelling around telling people who Jesus is and what he did. And in this passage, they're, they're actually in Europe. Uh, so let's get into it. And it starts with Paul and Silas in a, in a little bit of strife. And the reason they, they find themselves in trouble is because they've just freed a girl who had been a slave for much of her life. This wasn't part of the reading, it was just before. Her owners had been using this girl for financial gain. Uh, she was like a, a fortune teller predicting the future. But Paul and Silas uh, put an end to it. And the owners of the girl were outraged by this because their income had been taken away. And so they try and get revenge. And that's where the reading picked up. These men, they, they grab Paul and Silas, they drag them to the magistrates who were like city officials, and they accuse them of throwing the whole city into uproar and advocating unlawful customs. They've done the right thing by this girl, but now they're being accused of some made-up charges. And all of a sudden, this this kind of mob mentality kicks in. The crowd starts to call for justice, even though they probably don't even know what's happened. And at that point, there's only going to be one verdict. The the magistrates aren't, uh, they're not concerned with the details. They just want to keep the peace in the city. So without any sort of trial, Paul and Silas end up being stripped and beaten severely and then thrown in prison. They are humiliated almost as a warning. And we should feel a real sense of injustice for them. They do the right thing, but they end up worse off for it. Maybe that's something you yourself have experienced in in your life, doing good, sticking your neck out for others but then being punished as a result. And it can be quite discouraging when that happens. Uh, if, we're, if doing the right thing only gets you in trouble, then, then what's the point? 
Uh, we all wrestle with injustice, particularly when it seems like there's no resolution, particularly when it happens to us or, or those we love. We'll hold on to that thought as we continue. Uh, so these two, they're taken to prison and the jailer is, is told to guard them very carefully. These are, these are troublesome prisoners. And so he puts them in, in stocks. He, he fastens their feet firmly just to be sure that, that they're not going anywhere anytime soon. And it gets to about midnight and, and Paul and Silas are still awake and they've been whinging and whining, complaining about how they've been unfairly treated. The whole world's against them. And like every prisoner, they're, they're completely innocent. No, that's nothing like what we find. We might expect them to be acting in that way, considering how, how wrongly they've been treated. But instead, they're singing songs about God and to God. A bit like we've been doing through the service. And they're praying. They're in surprisingly good spirits, considering what's happened. And the other prisoners overhear them. It would be hard not to at that hour. Uh, imagine what these, these other prisoners are thinking. It's the middle of the night. They've only been here one day and already they've lost the plot. Now all of a sudden there's a, a violent earthquake. So violent that the whole foundation of the prison is moved. The jail cells all break open. The, the chains of every prisoner comes loose. And the jailer at this point is, is fast asleep but, but he's woken by all the shaking. Uh, many of you will know that horrible feeling. When he sees all, all the jail cells are opened, he, he fears the worst. Uh, it wasn't unusual in those times for, for jail guards who, who lost their prisoners to have to take the place of their prisoners to serve their sentence. So when he sees these, these open doors and he, he realises he's fall, uh, fallen asleep, he actually fears the worst. They're all gone. I'm done for. And rather than risking the consequences, he, he grabs his sword and he decides he's going to take matters into his own hands, end things on his own. But thankfully, Paul yells out, just in time. Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer is, is shocked and he gets the lights and he rushes into Paul and Silas's cell and he falls before them, trembling, because this has been no ordinary evening. And he asks them this question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's a bizarre question on one hand because Paul has, has just saved his life. But he's asking a, a deeper question. It's as if his brush with death has made him realise that he hasn't been living as God intends. It's amazing how God uses particular circumstances in our lives to show us when we're actually heading down a wrong path. Uh, maybe you've experienced that probably not as dramatically as the jailer does. Sometimes God does it through our circumstances. Uh, sometimes he does it through other Christians, as, as, even as we heard uh, in some of the interviews earlier. I can still remember when I became a Christian uh, and the way uh, I, I must have been about 19 or, or 20, and it was a lack of, of sa uh, satisfaction at my circumstances and, and the way I'd been living that led me to look into Christianity. And we're not told exactly what was going through the jailer's mind. Maybe he had heard some of the songs and prayers of Paul and Silas before he fell asleep. Or perhaps he spoke to them about Jesus, or they spoke to him about Jesus when they first arrived. Uh, and he was talking to them in their cells, taking them to the cells. And maybe he realises what they said was true about this God who actually loves him. Maybe this Jesus guy really did die and rise again. 
We don't know the thoughts of this man, but we do know he asked the most important question. What must I do to be saved? A clear sign that God is at work in his life. Now he's convinced that he, he needs to know the answer, and fortunately for him, Paul and Silas, they have it. These life-changing words in verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. It's the simplest of answers, isn't it? They don't say, well, what you need to do, you need to go along to your, your church every Sunday, read the whole Bible, kick a few of those bad habits, the lying, the gossip, the anger, get your life together, sort out the, the broken relationships, start doing something good with your life, make a difference in the world. They don't say any of that. As good as some of those things might be. They say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Because it's only Jesus who has the power to save. And the obvious question is, to save from what? Uh, I mentioned earlier how many of us struggle with the injustices that we see in the world. Things that we know to be wrong, but that seem to go unpunished. Uh, corrupt or, or selfish people seem to get away with all sorts of evil while others suffer. Uh, think of the wars going on around the world. Think of the injustices that you see closer to home or, or injustices that you yourself have experienced. And while much of it seems hopeless, the, the Bible says that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, there will be a day when you and I and everyone will have to give an account to stand before our God for the way uh, and, and, and explain ourselves for the way we've lived. Now, God is a just God, which means... He won't let any of the evil in this world go unpunished. He wouldn't be just if, if he did allow that. Someone will pay. And we're not, we may not be as bad as some others. I'm sure we can all think of people worse than us. But while that may be true, God promises he will punish all sin and all sinners. Every one of us. Every word, every thought every action that goes against him and what he intends for us. Because he is just, he can't let our sins slide. Now we're all guilty and, and rightly we face the judgment of God. But God is also a loving God. And because of that, he, he offers us an alternative. Uh, there was a gold rush in, in California in the 1800s and a man went there from New York leaving his wife and his son behind. Uh, the plan was that, that after he'd made enough money, he'd send it back so that they could join him. Uh, and it took a while, but they were delighted when they finally had enough to buy two tickets to, Californ uh, to California. And the wife and the son, they jumped on a Pacific steamer and they were on their way. Now, now they hadn't been at sea very long when they heard these cries, fire, fire. There was lots of, of gunpowder on board. And the captain knew the moment the fire reached it, they were all done for. And so they started to get the lifeboats out. But they soon realised they were too small. They filled up fast. And the last one was being uh, pushed away when the mother pled with them, please take me and my boy. Uh, she pleaded again and again until finally they said they would try and fit one more. So the mother hugged and kissed her boy. And she dropped him into the lifeboat and she gave him this message. If you live to see your father, tell him I died in your place. 
And that's just a, a small picture of what Jesus has done for us. Laying his life down for our sin so that we might truly live. He died for people like the jailer, for people like Paul and Silas, for people like you and I. What can we do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus, the one who sacrificed himself for us. Such a, a simple message, yet one that so few embrace. I want to spend the, the last couple of moments just thinking about what it means to believe in the Lord Jesus. Because when, when people uh, use that word believe these days, it's not always the same as what Paul and Silas mean here. Uh, imagine I tell you I've done something incredible. I, I've, I've made my own lunch. Uh, if, if you believe me, you're, you're a fool. No. If you believe me, you're accepting that what I say is true. But it doesn't make much of a difference to you. Or you may have people say things like, I believe in you. Uh, to show they think someone is capable of doing something. Maybe a coach or a teacher would say that to try and get a desired result. Or another example is when people say things like, I believe we've met before, to show what they, they think is true, as you stand there awkwardly trying to remember. But the belief that, that Paul and Silas are talking about, it's much more than that. It's something that shapes their lives. They believe in Jesus, who was who he was, what he did for them, and therefore they act. Uh, there's a campsite near Mount Hutt, and there's a little lake there, and sometimes in winter the, the lake freezes over. Now, it's one thing to say I believe the ice is thick enough to hold my weight. It's quite something else to believe it to the point that you're willing to stand on the lake. And it's this latter thing that Paul and Silas point to when they say, believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus is to put your faith in him. That's exactly what Paul and Silas had done. That's why they travelled around Europe telling people about Jesus and the hope that he brings. That's why when they were chained in, the, in their dark prison cells, they weren't downcast and angry at the world. They were singing and praising God, praying to him. They are wonderful examples of belief in Jesus. It's so easy in life to, to go through the many struggles that we face and to feel as though we're, we're like Paul and Silas in some ways, in the darkness of a prison cell, but there is no hope for us at all. But they look beyond the darkness of the cell and look to Jesus. Uh, Jesus who's often referred to as the light of the world. This, that is the belief that they offer to this jailer. They know that God is with them and, and that will be the case forever. A prison cell won't take that away. Even death won't take that away. That is belief in Jesus. It's, it's trusting him with whatever comes your way. And remarkably, the jailer believes in Jesus. His life is, is changed. And he actually takes Paul and Silas to his house so his family can, can hear about Jesus as well. And, and Paul and Silas explained to him and, and everyone else there the good news of Jesus. Jesus who came to forgive sins and restore our relationship with God. 
Jesus who promises us peace with God. Jesus who gives us hope beyond this life and the promise of justice one day. Are you someone who believes in the Lord Jesus? Someone who knows you can't save yourself, but who puts your faith in the one who can. Jesus doesn't promise to make life easy, but he does promise to be with us through it. When Jesus returned to heaven, he gave people his Holy Spirit to help us. And we too can face the the darkest moments of this life, certain that he will always be with us. But if you haven't believed in Jesus, why not take that step today? Uh, I mentioned the the Dennis Kruger effect, where where people overestimate themselves. But maybe you're someone here this morning who actually underestimates yourself. Maybe you're someone who thinks there's no way God could ever save me. I'm not good enough. If he knew the things I'd done, the the way I'd lived my life, there's no way he'd forgive me. But when you see the the people in the Bible who come to believe, when you speak to many of us, uh, people like us who are here today, you'll start to see that, that God knows all these things, but he still offers forgiveness to anyone who would believe in his son Jesus. That is the love of God for you and for me. No matter how far you think you've strayed, the offer of being saved is there for everyone. And that means all of us can actually find joy in this life. Notice in verse 34, the jailer is is filled with joy because he and his whole family came to believe in God. I wonder if you've found that kind of joy in your life. So many of us give up true joy for the empty pleasures of this life that that never seem to last. But like Paul to the jailer, God calls out to us, don't harm yourself. Don't waste your life chasing these things that don't lead to lasting joy. These things that only harm us in the long run. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the, the famous author, says this, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who goes on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are, too, we are far too easily pleased. Now are you someone who is settling uh, for less than the joy offered to us by Jesus? If that's you, then listen to Paul's words again. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It's in him that we find true and lasting joy. Uh, So let me pray that each of us would find that. Let's pray. Now, dear God, we thank you so much for Jesus. That he came to save us by dying in our place. Help us to put our faith in him. Uh, if, we're not, if we're not doing that already, then help us to weigh up what he says, to see for ourselves if it is true. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.